You may ask, how did this tradition get started? I'll tell you. I don't know. But it's a tradition. And because of our traditions, every one of us knows who he is and what God expects him to do. Day and night must scramble for a living, feed a wife and children. We'll spend our time talking, terror, learning stuff, and having fun while we learn. You can always send your questions and comments to our mailbag at letstalktorah at gmail.com. And, of course, I will answer as many questions as I can. Or, of course, you can always go to our amazing webpage at letstalktorah.net. That's letstalktorah.net. You can get the archives, the new shows. You can leave comments and the all-important donate button that you can help the show continue to grow. And, of course, we appreciate whatever you can help us with. There's four levels there. If you want a shout-out, just write us a note. We can do all kinds of good stuff. Or you can keep it anonymous like a lot of people like to do. It is vacation time. I know most of you think school just started. It's end of September. What do you mean vacation time? Well, Rosh Hashanah is behind us. Yom Kippur is behind us. And now we have the Sukkot holiday at our doorstep. School is now closed for close to two weeks. And I didn't look at my calendar so carefully. But almost two weeks, um, families travel. Um, I managed to get out of my house as the third of my children came in. And so things were getting loud, and as we say, lebedic. But it was good to sneak out. It's always good to get out. It is so family time. Um, I didn't even wear a tie today. I am on real vacation. And there's so much to talk about We'll try to use the next two shows to get as much squeezed in about the Sukkot holiday as we can. So first we've got to look at the overall calendar, right? We start with Rosh Hashanah. Then 10 days later is Yom Kippur. That's behind us. And now we actually get to the holiday that's called the Zman Simchasena, the time of our joy, of our happiness. So we got to figure out, like, what does the time of our happiness have anything to do with Yom Kippur? Does it matter? Is there a connection, Sukkot, to Yom Kippur? Is it just the way it worked out? Like, like what gives a little bit? Now, of course, nothing. Nothing ever just happens. That's ridiculous. But we're really dealing with totally different holidays, right? We have a Yom Kippur where we're not eating, we're not drinking, We'll, we are white kittel. Um, we'll be standing a lot during the day. We talked about this in last week's show. And now you get to a holiday where it's all fun and games and eating and going outside. And we're in our sukkah, the, the hut, and, and decorations. And that leads up to Simchat Torah, where more dancing and kids and parties. And, and, and like, what's going on? You could simply say that since we believe that we were forgiven by God on Yom Kippur, so now is the time to show God that we appreciate and we are so thankful for what he's done for us. And that may be the right direction, but I think it's really much more than that. 
First of all, we have to back up a little bit. I was actually studying with somebody today earlier, and we happened to be learning the Torah portion of Mishpatim. And in there, it talks about the three times a year we go up to the temple, to the base of Migdash, on Pesach, Shavuos, and Sukkot. And I said, you know, it is interesting to note, first of all, you see by how the Torah calls or refers to the holidays, everything is revolved around the farms. There are no holidays during the planting season. There are no holidays during the plowing season or hoeing or watering or anything. As a matter of fact, the holidays are all when the rainy season is over and hasn't begun. Passover is pretty much the end of the rainy season. And then you have Shavuos, and then Sukkot, or Sukkot, is right before the rainy season begins. Because what happens? Passover, you start the harvest. Uh, Shavuot, you are finishing the harvest. Then everything stays out in the in the fields, as the, all the crops, the grains have to dry out. And then the Sukkot part of the calendar, you're bringing everything into the storage house. Everything's dried out. Everything is ready to be processed. Everything goes into the silos. And it's really at this point of Sukkot, this part of the year, where the farmer gets to benefit from his year long of hard work. Or you're plowing and planting and hoeing and, and pruning and, and fertilizing. Everything you have to do for your farm, you don't get paid for that, right? Because the payment is when everything is brought into the storage house, into the silos which is right now. So this is the time of the farmer's greatest joy. So what does the Torah want us to do? The Torah says the time of your physical great joy, now is the time to thank God. Now is the time you have to go ahead and say, okay, God, I recognize I may have thought that I worked really hard, and I may have thought that I am an amazing agriculturist, if that's a real word, um, but I know God is all you. At the end of the day, God, I know it's all you. So that's number one. It's the time of our joy. First of all, time of our joy because now we benefit from a year's worth of hard work. You know, we don't relate so well because we're, we're no longer an agricultural society. But as I tell my class, right, we're happy when it rains because you want food, you want water, right? There, there are places in the country that could be, you know, there, there's no water to water the, the, the plants. The farms are, are suffering. And if they suffer, it's going to cost you more money. Right? you got to get food from somewhere. Right? We know what's going on in Ukraine now with that grain corridor. Right? The world needs to have food supply to them. So if there are countries that are not able to produce grain because of the weather patterns, so you're in trouble. So this is a very joyous time because now we have our food supply. It's true what we said before. It's also a joyous time because we just finished Yom Kippur. But we talked about this last week, and I think it's an important point to think about. From Rosh Hashanah through Yom Kippur, there's one way we serve God. We pray. We go to synagogue. We fast. We, we, we give extra charity. We... I was telling one of the kids in my class, I had, there was another teacher there. And so two boys are bothering each other. So I was like, ready to say, come on, you have to be nice. It's right after Yom Kippur. Then I told the teacher, I said, I hate that line. 
Well, I'm only supposed to behave because it's right after Yom Kippur. That's ridiculous. You're supposed to be nice the whole year. But somehow, it's right after Yom Kippur. You should really still be good. What, for another week? But whatever, that's, I digress. Which I seem to do a lot of. I haven't even gotten to any of my notes uh, on my paper yet, which means we're in for the long haul here. No, don't worry. Short and sweet. You know how we like it. Anyways, so we've served God for a 10-day window with tremendous emotion and, and fervor and re- religiosity, if you like to call it. And now we get to the Sukkot holiday. And the idea of the Sukkot holiday is, God, I served you for 10 days, you know, prayer, fasting, uh, extra Torah study, whatever I did now, God, I'm going to show you I can serve you with eating and drinking, with celebrating, with family, with parties, with dancing, with singing. Totally different mindset. A mindset, really, a physical mindset. And I was like, if I served God till now spiritually, now I'm going to show God I can serve you physically. I can eat. I can enjoy. I can schmooze. I can have friends over. We can have parties. We can have music. We can have dancing. And that's how I'm going to serve you. So it's, it, it, it's, it's showing ourselves. It's showing God that there's two ways to serve God. Both are, of course, very, very important. But, but really, right, this is what it's all about, right? We're not. I mean, we are angels on Yom Kippur. That's true. But now we're back to real life. Farmers, getting everything into the house, and I'm still going to serve God. And I'm not here to discuss better or worse. They're both very important. We need both sides of the coin, and that's what I think this. That's the juxtaposition. That's the Yom Kippur followed immediately four days later, right? That's pretty immediate. Followed immediately by Sukkot, right? God, I serve you first by praying. Now I'm going to serve you by eating, enjoying, like in my house now. So there's food all over the place. My wife is cooking up a storm. Everybody's coming in. So really, it's all holiday food. But you're not going to not give it to people to eat as they walk through the door. So there's like a lot of good stuff hanging out in the kitchen, which is another good reason that I had to get out because uh, I can't afford to gain all the weight now. i got to save it and pace myself um, as the holiday continues. So in any case, that's the, um, that's the first part to focus on of what's going on with this Sukkot holiday, that it's a joyous time, it's a vacation time. We go out of our home, which is, again, fascinating, right? We, we, we leave our home and we try to live, as long as the weather holds up, which it seems it will, um, but we try to live in our temporary makeshift homes. So a friend asked me, we were studying today, I told you before, he says, did they celebrate the Sukkot holiday in the desert? 40 years in the desert, did they celebrate the Sukkot holiday? I think that's a great question. The answer is yes and no, like all good Jewish questions, all answers are always yes and no. In other words, they had to treat it like a holiday. We know that because it says the manna, that heavenly food that came down, came down six days a week. On Friday, came down double because they couldn't go collect on Shabbos. It says the same for the holidays. The day before the holiday, also it fell down 
double the day before the holiday because they didn't go on the holiday. But there's two reasons we move into a we we'll call it a hut, but it's like a makeshift. You know, it's got a it's got a roof with you're gonna have sticks or bamboo or evergreens and stuff, and the walls are pretty temporary. You know, you're not gonna survive the winter in those walls, and if it's windy or chilly, it's gonna get cold in there. My son in Florida had to put air conditioning into his sukkah because you you cannot survive. You'll just bake if you don't have air conditioning, even though you're basically in an outdoor hut with no real roof. But in any case. So the question is, why do we move out of our homes to be in a sukkah for the holiday? Why is that the way we're doing it? So I told him there's two different answers. Reason number one is to remember the clouds, those special clouds that surrounded the Jewish people, that protected us from the elements, that protected us from people, perfect um, weather conditions, that protected us from all the different snakes and scorpions and animals in the desert. It was amazing. So to remember that God protected us in this special cloud, so we are going out to the sukkah. That's reason number one. Reason number two is the Jewish people in the desert could not build houses, not brick, not wood, because you never knew when you were going to travel, which is really amazing if you think about it. You know, Kids get in the car, five minutes later, are we there yet? And if they're old enough to know, we can't say we're there yet. That's ridiculous. But they do know to say how much longer. And GPS does it all the time, right? You know, GPS says your ETA. And I'm busy looking at my ETA the whole trip, every minute. Okay, if I go a few minutes faster, how does it change the number? If I go a few miles slower, how does it change the number? Oh, I ran into traffic. Oh, we stopped off for gas. Oh, we just added 15 minutes to the trip. So we all do it. It's all part of, uh, of human nature. Right? Everyone wants to know, when am I going? How long does it take? What time do you expect to be there? That is like the most normal thing for every human being. But in the desert when we traveled, it, none of that existed. You travel because all of a sudden the clouds start to move, trumpets start to blow, they start to take apart the tabernacle, and you start moving. Like, you pack up your stuff. How much? You better not have too much stuff because you got to quickly pack everything up because we're moving. And you don't know how long you're traveling for. You don't know how far you're going. And when you finally arrive and you unpack and you set up your tent, you don't know how long you're staying. Could be for a day, could be for a week, could be for a month, could be for a year. In one place, we, we parked ourselves for 19 years. Other places for a day or two. So if you never know how long you're going to be in any one location, you're not building a house. You're not building a, a, a real structure because you're not going to take it apart. And it's you know you could be here for a few days, so you're going to have your tent or whatever, but everything is temporary. Everything was very, very temporary. So to remember that we had the wherewithal to be able to travel at a, at a moment's notice and therefore not to build any type of permanent home, that's why we go into the sukkah, to remember how we traveled and survived and lived in the desert and God took care of us. Okay. So his question was, did we celebrate 
did we celebrate Sukkot in the desert? I said, if the whole idea of moving into a hut is to remember the clouds, <laughs> in the desert we had the clouds. I don't have to remember I'm in the cloud. I- I'm in the cloud. I don't have to remember that I'm in a temporary house, right? Because I- I'm living in a temporary house, right? Isn't, isn't that what we're doing? So therefore, the holiday becomes just so fascinating, so amazing, that, that this is how we, uh, we went through the desert. And, and with that, I, um, I brought along so interesting, you wouldn't even know this, but um, in my class, third graders, um, so we have like booklets, ho- booklets for the holiday. So I give them, like, Torah thoughts to say over. Now, the truth is, these Torah thoughts are too hard. I wrote them a few years ago because I read my old ones. And the more I look at them, the more I say, these might be too hard. But I'm hoping I teach it to them enough times. I explain it to them. They might not be able to read it. It's a lot of big words for third graders. (coughs) But I'm hoping. (coughs) Sorry about that. But I am hoping that the parents will read it, and, and then it becomes a beautiful discussion jumping off point. So, this we've been talking about the clouds. So, it led me to a, 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 a thought. It's not my own, it's not original, it's from Zaman Sarutskin, who lived in the early 1900s. He asks a fascinating question. In the desert, we received three presents from God, and you couldn't survive without them. You need food, water, and shelter, right? Everybody knows three things to survive, food, water, and shelter. So we received the manna, right, that bread from heaven. We had the well, the well of Miriam, the Be'er Miriam. There was a constant water supply. And we also received the clouds, the Ananiya covered those clouds that protected us wherever we traveled and whenever we traveled. Now, to get into the story a little bit, what happened was we left Egypt. The food supply we had, it, it was miraculous, but you don't see that in the verse, but it was miraculous. The food supply lasts for 30 days. Now we're in the desert for 30 days. We have no food. So they go and they complain to Moses, and they complain, and they say, you brought us out here, and you wanted to kill us, and why weren't you thinking about us, and what were you thinking when you took us out here? And so Moses prays to God. God says, okay, we're going to start sending them this bread from heaven. That's present number one. Then, uh, whatever it was, a few weeks later, maybe less, um, we go to a place. We, and was, some of the traveling places, there were springs. But then we get to places, no water. No water. So they, again, complain to Moses, what's going on over here? You took us out. How are you going to take care of us? We're all going to die. We're all thirsty. We have no water. What's going to be? What's going to be? Complaining, complaining. Moses prays to God. God says, no problem. You're going to go hit the rack. The first time he hits the rack. You're going to go hit the rock, and water's going to come flowing, and that will be the water supply for the next 40 years because the, the rock, um, whenever we traveled, closed up shop, rolled along with the Jewish people. Once we parked, the rock parked, I can't tell you where, somewhere, and uh, then again the water supply opened up, and the Jewish people were supplied with water. Interesting enough, when we left Egypt, so after the first main traveling place, after the first main traveling place that we reached, um, 
we were given these special clouds to protect us. Again, the perfect weather. Not, it's not too hot for the sun, not too cold for the desert at night, and you don't have to worry about, about scorpions and uh, snakes. And It just totally took care of us. But nowhere in the story, nowhere in the story do we even give a hint to a complaint saying, oh, it's so hot, what are we supposed to do? It's so cold here at night, and I didn't bring enough blankets, and, and I have to watch wherever I walk because there's snakes there and there's wild animals. Nowhere in the Torah do we ever find the Jewish people complaining about the animals, about, the, about the needing to be protected, that, that God has to protect us somehow, and then he would send the clouds. So it turns out, it turns out of these three presents that we received, two of them came with complaints. We, 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 got, the, we got the manna because we complained for food. It is a present. God didn't have to give us the food, but, right, present of food. We complained about the water. God didn't have to give us the water, but he did, right? And a, a present without complaining was the clouds. So Rizamas Ruskin says, you see the power, the beauty, the amazement of a present that comes unasked. My wife jokes. She, um, the kids came from, uh, from New Jersey. There's a certain chocolate store that she likes. So she says to me, you know, I'm working so hard. I want a present. So I'm, uh, I'm ordering my present. She got a box of uh, some type of truffles or something. So um, it was delivered to one of the kids' houses, and they, and they, I'm sure at this point the children would be in my house, but I can't guarantee it. So we joke, right? We have to wrap our own presents sometimes. But, you know, people have birthdays and holidays, and they ask for presents, and what present do you want? And sometimes they come and tell you what present they want. But the value of a present that comes unasked, right? Now it's... You just gave me a present for, I mean, it may be necessary, but I didn't have to complain. I didn't have to beg. I didn't have to plead. You just gave it to me. Such a present is so beautiful, is so powerful that it actually gets its own holiday. I mean, you could have thought three presents in the desert, we should have one holiday corresponding to each of those presents. Not true. The only holiday that has, that represents one of the three presents is the holiday of Sukkot. That's it. Passover has nothing to do with the bread, even though, yeah, matzah bread, but it has nothing to do with it. And Shavuot really has nothing to do with water. Yes, technically you can say bread and matzah is the man and water equals Torah, that's Shavuot. But really, really, we don't say anywhere that I am doing this holiday to remember the mud. I am doing this holiday to remember the water. No, there's no such holiday. But there is a holiday where I'm actually sitting there saying, I remember the clouds that God sent to protect the Jewish people. Such an idea, such a special gift, actually deserves its own holiday. And that becomes an amazing thought so okay so that for the most part gets us into the sukkah just a few other details um even though most of the ones you'll see nowadays most sukkahs have four walls 
Um, it's actually kosher with three walls, and it's and it's even kosher with two walls and a door, just technically. Um, the walls can be made of anything you want, but the roof has cannot be made like a real roof. It's got to be um, unrainproof. Is that a real word? And oh, if it rains, it's going to come right through. It's got to be made of things that grow from the ground. It could be plants. It could be. It can't be food, right? But it could be twigs or sticks or these bamboo mats or, or people use these evergreens. In Israel, they use these. They're really palm branches, but it's a different kind of palm branch. They're very thick and very pointy. You have to full of thorns, right? So the roof is something that's so temporary that you can see right through it, right? Because that's all part of making sure that we remember how God protected us. We're in this hut. We're unprotected. If it rains. You're, you're out of luck, right? You do not have to stay in your sukkah if it's pouring rain. Um, if you are overwhelmed by bees, you also don't have to stay in the sukkah. But generally speaking, oh, all right, we're going to get back into this in the next show. But the music is playing. I hope you enjoyed it short and sweet. Thank you, of course, for all wonderful sponsor listener. I can't do it without you. Thank you to my production team. I have Alan in the back. I hope I've left you some food for thought. Until next time. I am Rabbi T. Jacobson. You've been listening to Let's Talk Toro on Let's Talk Toro and I know Streamcast. Till next time, don't forget to think about it. A million dreams for the world we're gonna make. There's a house we can build.